The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins this is the word of the lord let's pray father in heaven we thank you for your word i pray that you would help me today preach with clarity i pray lord that we would not be distracted in this place today if it's too hot or too cold or too full whatever it is god i know there are many things that are vying for our attention but god we want Christ to have our focus today. We want to very carefully listen to your word so that we may hear what you want us to hear today and help us to be doers of that word we ask. Let us go from this place being conformed more than ever into the image of Christ so that we might live as salt and the salt and light of the earth. Help us, Jesus, we ask. And it's his, his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week, I don't know if you saw, but WKYT reported on a tragic story of a 22-year-old man who is now facing felony charges after locking up his four-year-old son alone in a bedroom while he was at work for a 12-hour shift. The boy did not have access to food, nor did he have access to a bathroom. Now, thankfully, the boy is physically okay, and he's being returned to the custody of his mother. But, it, you know, it just amazes me how many stories we hear like this on the news, where parents just kind of neglect the, the nurturing and the bringing up, the raising of their children. This is indicative of the very self-centered day and age that we live in, right? And, and it's, it's interesting that so many parents today seem to celebrate the birth of children like they love and they celebrate the birth of their child, but then it's like when it comes to raising them, they're like, oh, this is not what we signed up for, and they often neglect that responsibility, which is tragic. Now, unfortunately, this has become an all-too-accurate analogy of the church. Because let me tell you what often happens in the modern church, the contemporary church. Here it is. We often celebrate the new birth, right? And we should. I mean, it's a glorious thing when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. 
But so often we celebrate the new birth, but we neglect our responsibility to help that new believer learn how to walk in the ways of the Lord, to learn the Word of God. I just want to remind us today that the Bible does not call us to make mere converts, but the Bible calls us to make disciples. To, to, to make real followers of Jesus, as we like to say at this church. So last week, we started this verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians. And we began unpacking Paul's two-part prayer. And in the first eight verses, I love this, Paul celebrates this new birth that's happening across Colossae. Many people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he celebrates their, uh, the, the, the fruit of the gospel, namely faith, hope, and love. And we ought to celebrate those things in the lives of believers. But now, Paul's prayer shifts from celebration of the Colossians' faith to his now desire that the Colossians would then mature in that faith. So you see... This kind of two-part prayer. He celebrates them that they are, that they are uh, in the faith. And now he prays that they would grow up in the faith as mature believers. And this is a great picture of what is expected of every one of us. We come to Christ in faith. And from there, friends, we are to grow day by day by day. This is the heart of true discipleship. This is what we mean when we talk about discipleship. So in Paul's sec- the second part of Paul's prayer here, we see, if you will, the pathway of discipleship. A lot of people are con- confused as to what discipleship is. And Paul gives us a really clear picture of what it looks like to, to mature in Christ. And there are four petitions that Paul prays for on behalf of the Colossians. And so I just want to walk through these very quickly this morning. Does everybody have a note sheet? All right. So number one, if you're taking notes there, you can write this down. Paul prays that these believers would have the right knowledge. The right knowledge. And if we're going to mature in our faith, friends, we've got to have the right knowledge. Look at verse 9. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, watch this, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what you must understand is that there is, a, there is some form of secret knowledge that is being offered to these believers by false teachers who are in Colossae. And Paul saying... I don't want you just to grow in empty philosophies, but I want you to grow in the right knowledge, namely the true knowledge of God. Now, he particularly says here, he wants us to grow, he wants them to grow, and and us as well, to grow in the knowledge of God's will. Now, when you and I hear that, being part of this individualistic culture, here's what we think. Well, God wants me to know who to marry, and God wants me to know what job to take and what house to buy, so on and so forth. And certainly, does the Holy Spirit help us in those decisions? Absolutely. But that is not what is on Paul's mind here. It's not his main concern. He is speaking more genuinely of God's will. And so, 
you see the word knowledge here, and the normal Greek word for knowledge is one you're probably familiar with. It's called gnosis. Gnosis. But Paul doesn't use that word. Here's what he does. He adds to that word a preposition, three letters, E-P-I, which intensifies the meaning greatly. And here's the meaning in the New Testament. It means a precise and a correct knowledge. It's used in the New Testament of the knowledge of things that are ethical and, watch this, and divine. It's the knowledge that comes from God. Now, how many know we live in a day and age where we are inundated with information? Do you ever feel like you're on uh, information overload? I mean, we're just bombarded with data. With the rapid development of technology, we have just a plethora of data really at our fingertips like never before. It's interesting, Northwest University put out an article not too long ago that says that every day, 2.5, get this, exabytes of data are produced every single day. Which to give you an idea of how much that is, that would be equate to over 90 years of HD video. That amount of data is produced every day. So you think about our own lives between blogs and emails and all the social media platforms. Between websites and local and national news outlets, podcasts and onslaught of, a slot of new books that are published on a daily basis. We have to ensure, friends, that we are growing in the right knowledge. We have to, in other words, filter through what we're allowing to shape our thinking. Because everything that's out there is not true. Come on, fake news, somebody. <laughs> Listen, it's true. There, there's some fake news out there, right? There are empty philosophies out there. Man, that woke you guys up. You're like, yeah, fake news, right? <laughs> Now, this is not to suggest that we should only grow in the area of Christian knowledge. I mean, it, it, this does not mean that, that we have to be kind of unlearned in all these other subjects. Like, yes, we need to understand math and English and, 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 and the basic subjects, right, and, 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 and study some other cultures. That's all fine. I, I think what Paul is getting at here is that we need to prioritize what we're learning, we need to be most concerned with the knowledge of God and not with empty philosophies. So, how do we get this right knowledge? How do we get spiritual knowledge from God? Is it that we sit on our hands and kind of look up in the sky and wait for God to kind of subjectively speak to us? And Have you ever done this trying to hear from the Lord? You're like, was that God or was that just me thinking to myself? How many have ever been there? That's a very subjective experience, right? And we say, well, that was the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Or it could have been just you, right? You're conscious, right? And so, no, that's not what Paul's getting at here. This knowledge comes primarily from one source. And what is that? It's the Scriptures, the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, the Bible is God-breathed. How many believe that? 
then why are we not savoring it? In the Bible, we find out who God is and how we can know this holy God uh, very personally and how we can live in ways that are very pleasing to Him. So if we're going to mature in our Christian walk, number one, friends, we have to be students of God's Word. Because watch this, don't miss this. Biblical illiteracy equates to spiritual infancy. And that's why in the contemporary church, we have people who might have been saved for 20 years, but they're still in this stage of spiritual infancy because they have not been diligent in the study of God's Word. Now, it's interesting here that Paul doesn't want us just to have knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Instead, he wants us that knowledge to result in spiritual understanding and wisdom. So it's interesting that God has given us, it's fascinating, He's given us His Spirit. This is wonderful news to to not only help us understand doctrine, but to show us then how to apply that doctrine to our everyday lives. All right, and this leads us to our next, Paul's next petition here in his prayer. He prays that the Colossians' knowledge then will produce, secondly, radical obedience. So you have the right knowledge, which should then produce radical obedience. Paul says the point of spiritual knowledge and wisdom and this understanding is so that they can grow in a manner, he says, verse 10, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and again, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, theology that does not produce doxology is absolutely useless. Theology that does not produce doxology is absolutely worthless. Here's what I mean. As we learn about God and His will for our lives, the natural response for a Christian is obedience to that knowledge. It's to move us to praise when we know about, we realize who God is. The Spirit gives us understanding. The natural tendency ought to be that that would then move us to praise, move us to obedience, move us to a closeness of God. Amen? A closeness to God. We ought to desire to serve Him more. That's the point of the knowledge. Let me illustrate this for you. I have two boys. I have a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old, and they like to take long showers. Come on, somebody. To clarify, they do not take them together. Uh, They quit that last year. Um, That's why you stick to your notes, folks. We have this ritual in my house every single night. Here's what happens. Every night... One, one child in particular gets in there and gives us a concert, right? I'll let you decide which one this is. And this is his time. He says, man, this is my relaxing time. I love to sing in the shower, so on and so forth. And so, you know, many, many minutes will go by, and I'm like, he needs to get out of the shower. So I knock on the wall or the door, and I yell, and I say, it's time to get out of the shower. A few more minutes go by after another song. I knock on the wall again. 
I said, get out of the shower. You can understand my frustration. But a few more minutes go by. This is every night. A few more minutes go by. And he's not out of the shower. I, I, I hear the water still running. And so I knock again. And guys, here's what baffles me. He's now frustrated with me. Son, you're not the one paying the water bill. Come on. And so here's what he says. Dad, I know. And I say, I don't want you to know. I want you to turn the stinking shower off. (laughs) Friends, that's probably how God feels about us. Many of us are going, oh, I know I'm supposed to walk in sexual purity. I know I'm supposed to tell the truth. I know I'm supposed to go to church. I know I'm supposed to pray. I know, I know, I know. And God's saying, I don't want you just to know. I want you to obey. Amen? So on this road to Christian maturity, the right knowledge ought to move us, if we are in fact real followers of Jesus, to radical obedience. Now here's the beauty of this. I want you to to look at verse 10 again. Paul says this. He wants these Christians to bear fruit in every good work. He wants them to bear fruit in every good work. I want to show you the beauty of this. This language pushes us back to verses 5 and 6. And Paul there talking about Christian hope says this. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit. The gospel is bearing fruit and it is increasing. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that the gospel is effecting immense change all throughout the world. That's what the gospel does. We're here today because the gospel has continued to bear fruit across the globe. Amen? And so here's what Paul is inviting the Colossians and us into. Paul's making it clear here that the believers get to be part of this change, this transformation By living as people of God's new creation. When you come to Christ, you are invited in to, in a sense, partner with God. To live out and to preach the gospel and to help effect this change all across the globe. I mean, this is absolutely exciting to me. It gives us new and fresh purpose. It redeems our purpose to be God's image bearers throughout the world. So as we grow in understanding, we will consequently live our lives in a new way. And we'll be able then to impact the world with the gospel message everywhere we go. Remember, we're supposed to be salt and we are supposed to be light. We're we're to live in a way that is distinct from the world. And then that, when people say, why are you living this way? We're to give an answer for the hope that's within us. It's It's a platform then to share the good news and to point people to Jesus. Amen? I was so moved on Wednesday night. R.D., here, raise your hand, R.D. No, real high, so there you go. So R.D. and I were sitting down front right on the same pew. This is his favorite pew. We were having a, a conversation, and another lady from our church walked in. This was right after Wednesday night service, and she comes up to us, and she says, Hey, I thought you guys may want to know that there are some men who do not belong to our church, they're, they're in our parking lot, and they seem like they're up to no good, 
and they're, they're using very, very foul language. You know, why we've got our church people out there, kids are out there, so on and so forth. You might just want to say something to them. And R.D. says, hey, I'll go out there. And, and I was absolutely blown away by this, this conversation. And I don't think he'll mind me saying this. I'll just speak in general terms. But he's been through some tough stuff lately. And it would have been very easy for him to allow that tough stuff to go out and take it out on somebody in the parking lot. And so the two of us went out. And he took the lead. I was getting ready for my crane kick. And here's, here's what he did, and this, this absolutely blew my mind. He went up to one of the men who was standing outside of a vehicle, and he said, Hey, I'm R.D., held his, out his hand to shake it. He said, What's your name? He said, I just want you to know, um, I know you're out here in the parking lot, but we have great services that happen inside, and we'd love for you to be our guest someday. And if we can ever serve you in any way, just let us know. Friends, that's how you live out this mandate to be salt and light. It's that simple. They were expecting to get run off, to be yelled at. It would have been easy to say, hey, how dare you speak like that in our parking lot? This is a church. But instead, hey, let's just shower them with grace. I believe a seed was planted on Wednesday night. I don't think they expected a church to be like that because that's not the image that's painted so often. And so this is a call for us as we live as people of God's new creation to affect change by living out the gospel all across the world. It'll change our neighborhoods. It'll change our city. These guys were blown away. They had to be. This is what it looks like to live in a God-honoring way. So having the right knowledge by God's word And responding to that knowledge through obedience then leads us to the third part of Paul's prayer. And that is that the Colossians would have a resolute faith. A resolute faith. Now to understand what Paul's saying here, I'm going to give you in a moment some background. But let me just read this verse to you. This is verse 11. Being strengthened, he says, with all power according to his, God's glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, Colossae, remember, is a pluralistic town. There's not one dominant faith. But scholars tell us that a a certain population of the natives of Colossae held to animism, which is a belief that kind of elemental spirits exercise their power in and through the natural world. So, in other words, a spirit might control the river or a plant, so on and so forth. And so there was great superstition... That led worshipers to try and appease these spirits through certain religious rites and sacrifices so that they might live peaceful lives. Well, then you had, uh, in in addition to that, you have the mythological Greek and Roman gods who were worshipped there. And through, again, certain religious rites, the gods would presumably let the people live in peace. Now, can you see the issue here? Because to be a Christian, in turn... Is to be wholeheartedly and solely devoted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You, you cannot, see, you, you can't be a Christian, be partly devoted to Jesus and partly to your own ways or partly to another religion. No, Christ demands our full allegiance. He is Lord of all or He's not Lord at all in your life. 
So the people of Colossae likely did not mind that these Christians were serving Jesus. This is, to them, it's just another religion. That's fine. Their issue was, when it came to the Colossians going, oh, by the way, we can't serve these other gods. Can you imagine how dangerous this must have been for these first century believers? Think about this. Every time a natural disaster or some other tragedy happened, guess who gets the blame? Right, the Christians. You remember the, the fire of Rome even? Who got the blame for that? Nero pointed the, the, his, his finger at the Christians and said, it's their fault. And they were persecuted because of it, killed because of it. Furthermore, think of this, to recognize Jesus as the ultimate cosmic Lord in that day was to deny the lordship and the kingship of the king of that day who was Caesar. That did not go over well, by the way, in the Roman world, right? So Paul knows that as these believers truly live their lives with full allegiance to Jesus, that they will face and are facing great persecution. And he wants them, here it is, he wants them to not throw in the towel. He wants them to persevere through the toughest of trials. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, I've got to hurry here. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable of the sower. Remember that parable? And then in verse 19, he gives the explanation like this. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But watch this. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the one that was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. Again, you see that same language. And yields in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and in another thirty. So Jesus makes it crystal clear here that there are some in the church who show signs of life, but that the gospel has not really taken root, not taken hold. So when trials and tribulations come, these people often fall away, and it's tragic, isn't it? Some of you may have heard in the news a few months ago uh, that a well-known author and former pastor, Josh Harris, tragically announced his departure from the Christian faith. In the 90s, Harris was a leading voice within the sexual purity movement. Wrote a very popular book on that subject. But since, he has changed his views on sexuality. He has allowed the secular world to de define his sexual ethics. And by his own admission, and I appreciate this part, he says, I can't recon reconcile these liberal views of sexuality with Christianity, so it's easier for me just to depart the faith, from the faith. It's tragic, isn't it? And likely you've known some people who, for whatever reason, they're, they're, they're going to church, they're, they're reading their Bible, they seem like they're on fire for God, but persecution comes, or that they're tired of swimming against the cultural current, and they end up walking away from 
their faith. Is that not tragic? And so Paul knows here that it is difficult to live in the new Christian ways. Guys, this is not an easy life. He understands that they will be persecuted and he wants them to remain steadfast. And he reminds these believers here, this is great. He's not wanting them to be afraid. He's not wanting them to fear. Watch what he does. He reminds them that it is not their own strength that will help them endure. Don't miss this. But what is it? The measure of power that is available to them is according to God's glorious might, which, by the way, is an infinite amount of power. So there's this warning, but then he says, Hey, you abide in Christ. And I'll tell you what's going to help you persevere. The power that's available for you is according to God's glorious might. This verse brings me to the doxology found in Jude, verse 24 and also verse 25. says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Who's able to keep you from stumbling? Him. And to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Now friends, I'm careful here in America to use the word persecution because we don't know what persecution is. We have brothers and sisters all across the globe today and other parts of the world who are facing true persecution. Their very lives are at stake as they meet together for the sake of Christ today. But, at minimum, this Christian life for us, as we talked about for many weeks in the series Misfits, this life will be uncomfortable. We will always be swimming now against the cultural current. We are not the heroes of America. We are seen... We are being progressively seen day by day as the enemies. Christians are now the enemies, right, of America. And so it's going to become more and more uncomfortable for us as we live and hold to our, live out and hold to our Christian values. But the good news is this. As we grow in the knowledge of God and we walk in obedience to God, which means that we're abiding in Christ and we're living under His Lordship, we can then rest in God's power to help us persevere. Amen? Even in the most difficult of times, our faith will be resolute as we abide in Jesus. Finally, Paul prays that these Christians then will grow in rapturous thanksgiving, joyful thanksgiving, constant thanksgiving. And that, friends, is a mark of true, Christi- true mature Christianity. Thanksgiving in our lives, here's here's what that shows. It shows that we are truly part of God's new creation. It shows that you and I, that we can see beyond our current circumstances. You know, I think back to many of the stories that you have shared with me over the past year. Some of you have been through some stuff. And it's beautiful to me to to see that some of you, even in the face of incredible tragedy... You have seen beyond it and even through it. You have had some sense of peace and joy even and gratitude to God. Why? Because you don't just see a circumstance, but you see the big picture. And that's what Paul is trying to move the Colossians to. 
at this point. Here's what he says. Verse 12, give thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So he's just implied that it's going to be tough for you there in Colossae to live this out. But he says, I want you to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's reminding them of the big picture. He has delivered you, uh, us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Stay with me for just a couple more minutes here. Human beings were made in the image of God. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2. And we were created to commune with Him to live for His glory and to rule the earth under the Lordship of God. But human sin, our own rebellion, our desire to be the lords of our own lives has put a chasm in between our purpose. It's put a chasm between us and our our God. And this, friends, is what darkness looks like. It's what spiritual darkness looks like. That we're just kind of aimlessly moving through the world with no hope, with no purpose, And without the ability to commune with our Creator. But thank God for grace. Because it's through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That now by grace, through faith in Him, God has now delivered us from this kingdom of darkness, this hopeless estate. And He has transferred us in by grace into the kingdom of King Jesus, His beloved Son, the cosmic Lord. And so we are now, the the Bible says, new creations in Christ. And we can once again commune with God and live according to His purpose for our lives. There's nothing more beautiful. That is the good news. And Paul means for the Colossians to look beyond their painful circumstances And to celebrate the fact that they have redemption, that they have the forgiveness of sins, and that they have been brought from darkness into light. Is it not easy for us to get caught up in the most difficult times? But as we seek to be mature believers, we need to look at the big picture. And and also be reminded, watch this, that even our trials and tribulations, we can rejoice in those because God's using those to perfect us, to purify us. All things are working together for our good and His glory. For those of us who love God and are called according to His purpose. So that's the road. That's what Christian discipleship looks like. Now, I want to close by saying this. I realize that this process of discipleship seems overwhelming. If you're here and you're a new believer, you're like, wow, I have to do all of that. I have to learn the Bible. That's a big undertaking. And then I have to live counterculturally according to the Word of God. And then I have to become resolute in my faith. And then I have to, even in the worst of times, be grateful and and thankful to the Lord. And that's overwhelming, right? I've got really great news for you today. You don't have to do this alone. To go back to my beginning illustration, 
You're not locked in a room all by yourself as a spiritual infant to kind of get through this life on your own. You have two things, at least, that's going to help you on this journey. Number one, you have the precious Holy Spirit who is helping you along the way. But number two, you have the church and particularly this church. And we are here to help you. Over the summer, I've shared with you that I began cycling with a local group of guys here um, at Mike's Hike of Mike right around the corner. And they, they invited me long before that, but I was, I was so intimidated because these guys are good. I mean, they've been riding for many, many years. I've only been riding for a year. So I was very intimidated, but finally they, they talked me into it. And I remember the first or second ride in, um, I was very nervous because I'm, I'm, I wasn't used to riding the distances that they rode, nor was I used to riding at the pace that they normally ride. So I was nervous, but I was determined, I'm, I'm going to keep up with them, right? I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm going to keep up with them. So, man, I'm pedaling my heart out. But about 20 miles into our 30-mile ride, it's like my body just quit. I pushed myself to the limit, and I thought I was, I felt like I was going to get sick. I was ready to call my wife. I told him, I said, you all just go on. I'll call my wife. She'll come pick me up. I have no shame. And uh, something incredible happened. The owner of the bike shop who could have been in the front said, hey, this is a no-drop ride. He said, I'm going to hang back with you. He said, I'm going to go at your pace. And that's exactly what he did. When I needed to stop, he would stop with me. And he would encourage me, hey, I had to start here at one point. You'll get better. You'll get better. He was encouraging me. I ran out of water. I mean, I was drinking water like crazy. He's like, hey, you better take my water bottle. I'll be all right. And he gave me his water. On one final stop for me to rest, he said, I want to warn you. He said, there is a, there's a massive hill coming up. It's steep, and it's one mile long. Now, that would have been difficult to for me at the beginning of the ride this was after about 25 miles of riding but he said you can do it he said I don't want you to look at the top and, 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 and see how far you have to go I just want you to focus on what's right in front of you look at your front wheel and just ride in front of it and he said just just keep pedaling you can do it well I got about halfway up that hill and I was doing exactly what he said and it's like I could feel my heart beating so quickly I felt my shirt moving right I couldn't catch my breath and I thought I can't do it I'm going to get off my bike and I'm going to I'm going to walk the rest of the way and I was just getting ready to do that it so moved me and at that moment I felt a hand on my sweaty back and I look up I was in my own little world I look up it kind of startled me and there's this man next to me whom I just met And he's taken one hand off the handlebars and he's put it on my back to help push me up the rest of the way. And we made it together. And right there, when you're a preacher, everything's an illustration. And right there, as tired as I was, I just felt the Spirit nudge me and say, that's what the church is supposed to look like. That's what discipleship is supposed to look like. Because I was looking for this 
discipleship program, right? How do we, how do we get our people to the top of the hill? And I just felt the Lord nudge me. That's what we want to do for you. Those of you who are new in Christ, we want to, I, listen, sometimes we're, we're so horrible as, as Christians, mature Christians, about going, hey, look how smart we are. Look how theological we are. Look how many scriptures we can quote. And we just zoom past you and leave you behind to fend for yourself. But I just want you to know, we want to be committed. Those of us who are in leadership especially, we, we want to pedal back down the hill and we want to ride at your pace. And we're here to put our hand behind you and to lock arms with you and say, hey, we're going to help you every step of the way. And you know what's beautiful? By the end of the summer, going back to the story, I was able to ride those, those same distances with very little anguish, with, with little problem. It became pretty easy. That's the picture of discipleship. Some of you are, are spiritual infants right now. We want to help you, but one day, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be leading somebody else. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Amen. Guys, this is not optional, this, this call to be mature Christians. The Lord does not want you to stay a spiritual infant. So I want to encourage you real practically take advantage of what we offer and what we will be offering over the next several months here come to Wednesday night Bible study and prayer we dive deep into the word of God we pray for one another you'll learn to pray for other people very practical join a small group they're going to start in January join a small group build a relationship with a more mature Christian and some of you who are more mature Christians reach out to some of the newer ones here in our church there's nothing like growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a world that needs mature believers to live as salt and light in the earth. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.